good morning. Uh, we are Jeff and Diane Lupker, and I, th I think there's a, just a opening slides there, uh, Danny, um, way at the beginning. Um, so this is, uh, this is not a little ditty about Jeff and Diane. <laughs> this is a little ditty about our identity and the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> first, uh, we're just going to share a little bit about each of our respective backgrounds briefly before we get into uh, Romans 5, 6 through 11 today. Okay? Um, so uh, for me, uh, I was uh, briefly, just a little bit of background. Um, when I was younger, my uh, uh, parents divorced when I was in second grade. They both remarried. My dad got custody. Uh, he remarried a woman who was a widow who had five kids. I was the youngest of six, so we instantly became 11. And uh, think of the Brady Bunch, but it was not a sitcom. <laughs> uh, th there was no abuse or anything. It was just crazy. Um, and during that time, um, when we lived in the Chicago area, uh, my stepmother enrolled my uh, stepbrother and I in a local Lutheran parochial school, and then we started attending the Lutheran church there. And that happened for two years. And then we relocated to Northwest Indiana, and we never went to church, ever. Once. Never. Um, so that was a kind of a grounding or, or, or situation. Fast forward many years later, I uh, now am attending um, college. And at the time, I... Uh, I, uh, when I was in high school, uh, somebody had witnessed to me in a mall. Hey, do you know Jesus? No. Would you like to? Would you like to say your sinner's prayer? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that happened. And I always knew of God, but I mainly thought of myself as a good person. So when I got to college, I said to myself, well, what, what, what's a good guy do? Well, a good guy goes to church. Well, okay, that's what I'm going to do. What church do I go to? What am I? Well, I'm a Lutheran. Why am I? Because that's where I went 10 years ago. So I'd go to the Lutheran church in Peoria, and that happened a couple times, go back to campus. What would you do today, Jeff? Well, I went to church. I'm a good guy. Check that off. Um, fast forward, after college, uh, it was up in Chicago and got introduced to uh, a message of the gospel which started to spark my interest at a big place called Willow Creek. And I know some people here are also familiar with that, but that was an introduction to the gospel in a way I wasn't familiar. Moved to Indianapolis, uh, was so fortunate to, it was a God thing, meet Diane. And uh, one day after we were married, Diane said, you know, there's a friend of mine who's teaching a Bible study called Experiencing, her husband is a pastor, and he's teaching Experiencing God. He was the pastor of the church, North Point, that Rusty just mentioned. And I thought, yeah, that's it. I, I need to be in a group. That so we go through this Experiencing God, and through that process, and during that time, I was working for a company based in Chicago, and I'd go to meetings up there, and I had a friend who was from Milwaukee, and he was always kind of mentioning Bible things and Jesus things. I thought, man, Bob, you are weird. So I get to Chicago after during this Experiencing God, and I said, hey, Bob, I'm doing this Experiencing God thing. 
oh, hey, are, are, are you ready to accept the Lord? Yeah, I am. Great, meet me downstairs in the lobby. At the Ritz, we're at the Ritz-Carlton. We get down there, I meet, and he's, he goes, okay, you ready? You, you want to accept the, the Lord? I said, yeah, sure. I said, well, Lake Michigan is just a couple of blocks over here. Shouldn't we, like, go over there where it's a little more spiritual? And, you know, I said, dude, are you kidding me? You think Jesus cares where you accept him and where you commit to him? Plus, you're not going to remember the lobby of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel? Yeah, you're right. That, the fire was lit. Um, so that ignited this, this years. That was 27 years ago. And that did, that did initiate a process of being a Christian and living the Christian life. So for 23 years, though, it was a works-based faith. Um, attending a big church here in Indianapolis, being a member of <clears throat> the men's group, where we proudly had the men's group logo embroidered on our polo shirts. <laughs> Made me feel very good. Um, we were serving and tithing. Now, um, three years ago, <clears throat> a big event happened in, uh, in my career. I won't go into the details, but uh, it was big. And uh, I was working for, <clears throat> in my industry, the world's largest company in that sector. Imagine that you are traveling on an ocean liner, the world's largest ocean liner. We jumped off that ocean liner. And Jesus, we discovered, Jesus was our life raft. And during that time, <clears throat> the ocean liner turned around, not to save us. At times, it felt that it was coming to run us over. I know that's visual, and that's kind of, uh, that's how it felt, was that big. During that time, <clears throat> and I don't believe in coincidences, I don't go to Target, but once every three years, Joe and I were at Target, we're getting ready to walk out, and all of a sudden I hear, hey Joe, turn over, and there's Keith Tyner. Now, I had known Keith, like Rusty said, from back in the day, but I hadn't seen him for 10 or 12 years. So during this time when we're floating in the ocean on this life raft with Jesus, I thought, I need to, I need to talk with him. I, 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 I need. So, Keith, can we have coffee? We met for coffee at the IHOP breakfast. And I know we all have our key stories, thank goodness. <laughs> and that's when I discovered Romans and identity, and grace. And uh, that led me to uh, Matt's Bible study, and it led us to here at uh, Leavener. You know, uh, Jesus spoke in uh, visual parables, and that's what you're going to see today. Next slide there, Danny. Um, here's some parables here, uh, just real quick few of them that are found in Matthew 13. The one that I think is the greatest of this passage, of these views, is the last one. Matthew 13, 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. How, how great is that when we're here at leavener? Um, 
my faith experience that I just described has been like two light switches. The first one is an on-off switch. And I think this relates to Scripture. Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, you'll hear it later, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, I did that in the lobby of the Ritz-Carlton, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you better believe me, or be, I believe that, then you will be saved. That's a light switch. That's a decision. Done. Uh, you may not realize it at the time of your decision, but at that moment, you became holy and righteous and redeemed. That occurred for me in 1995. That was a light switch. The second switch is a dimmer switch. That's the sanctification or the renewing of my mind. Romans 12.2, Paul tells us, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your heart. Did you catch that? It doesn't say renewing of your heart. It's the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove that what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That renewing of the mind, that's a process. That's the dimmer switch. Paul encouraged us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, my mind is being transformed and renewed. Most of, it, most of it lately at Leavener. That dimmer switch was moving, but in the last three years, it's gotten much brighter. I love the process of renewing my mind. Digging into his word. Being in fellowship with fellow believers. Debating and discussing topics like before the cross, after the cross. I, n I never heard this at, at the other churches that we had gone to. Wait a minute, who was Jesus talking to when he said that? What, what is the purpose of the law? And what about all those people before the law? What about them? What did it mean that righteousness was credited to them? Two trees? There's, there's two trees? Huh? What, which one am I in? What, which one do I want to be in? That, that is fascinating. Body, soul, and spirit. My identity. I, I love that. Uh, where, where is this process playing out? It's playing out in our community um, here at Leavener. You know, I get the privilege of hanging out with the fellows on Friday mornings at Matt's Bible study. And Luke, I, sorry, I, I know it's not the varsity. I, I understand. But for me, I just have to be in the pro leagues. I'm sorry. <laughs> we love... <laughs> That's the Denver switch. And here's the cap, and then I'm going to turn it over to Diane. Best of all, being married to a woman who knows her identity and allows the Holy Spirit and Christ's love to flow through her out to a community, that is simply, for me, an enhancement of an already abundant life. Sweetie. Well, thanks, Jeff. Um, I'm not as good a Jeff as ab-living, so I'm 
going to uh, read what I've written here to stay on track because I have a tendency to not allow that to happen. So uh, just a little background on me and my journey that brought me here today is um, I grew up on the east side of Indianapolis attending a Methodist church with my family, and uh, we were faithful attenders. Uh, After all those years, I'd memorized the New Testament books of the Bible, uh, sang numerous hymns, but had not understood the good news of the gospel in this particular church. Uh, Both my mom and my dad's extended family attended a Bible-based church in a small town here in Indiana, in Ovid, Indiana. Growing up, I loved Ovid. Most of our large family attended Ovid, and here I experienced uh, vacation Bible schools, uh, revivals, and just a genuine passion for Jesus in this community. There was always an abundance of love of believers and family, and I spent a lot of summers in this community when I was a young girl. That's where I accepted Jesus as my Savior at that church. I went for many years knowing as a believer my salvation was secure. But I believed once I became committed to my faith, I was going to need to make some behavioral changes. Several months after Jeff and I were married at 32 and 37, we started to attend a Bible study, and it was awesome. Soon after, I became pregnant, and at 19 weeks, we lost that baby. One day, in my grief and my sadness, I cried out to God, and I asked to be redefined. And it says, ask and you shall be received. It was then I realized I wanted more than just a belief in God. I desired to understand who Jesus was, understand how the Bible related to my life, and what happened on the cross. This started me on the passionate journey to know the word and the character of God and develop authentic relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Seventeen years ago, I became part of a neighborhood woman's Bible study. The studies, community, and sharing life had been, has been transformational. This awakening is how the love story of Jesus really became real for me. These verses that we're sharing today are a story of love. The love that God has for you and for me. We were unrighteous, yet he gave us his son so we could choose to believe in him and become saints. Both Jeff and I know there are no accidents. As a youth, John 3.16 provided me comfort. Maybe because it was one of the few scriptures I could recite. And it was a reminder that God loved me. Today, Jeff and I share this numerical sign of God's love together. So we found it fitting that we have the privilege to be able to stand up here and scripturally proclaim the good news of God's love as stated in John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Several years ago, which Jeff spoke about earlier, we were in a hurricane of worldly abandonment, lies, betrayal, and suffering at the hands of evil. God's love was our eye of the storm. 
316 or 16 became our constant reminder that God was present and walking with us. He provided 16s constantly throughout our day as God winks. So, the, go ahead. Okay. Oh, the numerical pop-ups became repetitive reminders that God is with us and in us. And sometimes that little emoji, we'd just send it to each other because things would, it wasn't coincidence. There were a lot of things that we knew God was walking with us. We have the slide. Excellent. Oh, okay. This is uh, just a little bit of story here as Diane is sharing this, this these 16 things. This hurricane started about three years ago and for the course of a year we recognized that the 16 kept popping up in different places especially on our devices and this was very random Uh, so after about a year of that we started just taking screenshots and uh, it's it's I said to Diane I said hey it's 315 should we wait for 16 she said no because then it's not a, you know, it, it's not God, you know. So these is totally random over different devices. Our phone, iPad, clock radio, computer. You know, you work and, oh, what time is it? Oh, it's 8.16. After a year of that, you're like, wait a minute. Now, like in the upper left one, if you get one that says 3.16, that is a big one. <laughs> Or if you see one that happened on, like, May 16th, that's a good day. Because <laughs> you know God is with you. So that's the numerical thing there. Uh, just these constant 16. Oh, one, sorry. Oh. Sorry. Go ahead. One more. Just to prove that this can happen for everybody, and just to show what his favorite team is. Matt, where are you? I want to yell it out so everybody could hear. What year... Did the Cubs win the World Series? 2016. <laughs> okay, just so we all know. <laughs> okay. Uh, these constant 16 reminders were one of the many ways that encouraged our faith to be bigger than our fear and was a reminder of the Holy Spirit inside saying, I'm here and that's all you needed. Okay. Thank you, sweetie. Uh, okay. We're going to move into the verses now. Um, Our message today is an attempt to understand, uh, to share our understanding of these verses. But as Rusty says, do not accept what we are saying. Please, please test it with his word. This message is about our identity, grace, and love. All right, let's look at the verses. Uh, Diane and I will trade verses. I will start, and then she will close. Now, remember, like I said earlier, I like visuals and parables, so you're going to see a few of that t- in this. You already saw it with the, uh, with the 316s. Uh, first verse, for a while we were still helpless. Well, these are all the verses, uh, 5, 6 through 11. Danny, if we can go to the first one. Thank you. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm going to try to unpack this a little bit. The first part is very straightforward. Without redemption, we're helpless. 
were separated in the grand scheme of things. We were born into Adam, separated from God, helpless. Sure, you may navigate or manipulate your way through life and be wildly successful in the eyes of the world, but you will not live as God hoped or intended to experience his love, to know how to love, to rest, to live abundantly, and to live eternally. The second part, this is for me interesting, at the right time, I see this in a couple of manners. First, on the one hand, God is timeless. He's forever. He's eternal. Eternal life means eternal life. That said, his creation, earth and us, did have a beginning, in the beginning. And the story of our journey is laid out beautifully in the Old Testament, beginning with Adam and Noah, Abraham, Moses, the Israelites, and so on. And this part of the journey and the grand disobedience needed to play out in such a manner to demonstrate the need for a Savior. Jesus came at the right time during that period to provide a path to redemption. Next, Jesus came at the right time at the personal level for each of us because during our time here on earth, we have the opportunity to accept his gift. Most, possibly and probably everybody in this room have already knocked on that door. The light switch. It might have been during a crisis, a season of despair, a season of revelation, or any number of circumstances. But regardless of the circumstance, Galatians 2.20 says this, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. That old self died. It's gone. It's dead. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ died at the right time 2,000 years ago, but when you made that decision, he died at the right time in your life, and you were joined with him at the cross. Um, who and who were and who are the ungodly? Um, back on that uh, five six, uh, we were, as it says in Romans three, for we have already been charged that both Jews and Greeks were the Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. That's who Christ came to die for. Sweetie? Romans 5, 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person some would, someone would even dare to die. <clears throat> In the world's terms, I used to believe a righteous person was a legalistic person obeying Old Testament laws, and a good person was one doing the right things. See, I was basing my definition of these two words on behaviors. 
Using a worldly process to understand this verse, one would never be able to achieve goodness or righteousness. But righteousness is the quality of being right with God, and it is our faith in him that makes us righteous. Romans 1.17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous one will live by faith. Your righteousness is not an achievement, but it's a gift from God through an act of love. We were neither righteous or good, yet God still so loved us that he gave his only son to die for us. Be confident that as believers, God doesn't just see us as righteous, but we have been made good and righteous. Satan wants us to think and believe we are bad and not righteous, but Satan's a trickster, and he wants us to believe we are not good enough to be righteous. But the ultimate act of love is the reason for the death of Jesus on the cross, and because of our belief, we were made righteous. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, Verse 8 is the summary statement for verse 7. The manifestation or demonstration of Christ's love for us was him sacrificing himself for us while we were sinners. Um, Here I'm going to attempt now to unpack in uh, some unique ways I'm going to personalize it a little bit. And the main thing is I'm going to focus on that word that says in there, love. So these next several, you know, comments and things are all about his love. Okay? How is his love defined? And how is it experienced? First, for me... Love is defined very clearly in 1 John 4.16. For we have come to know and have believed in the love that God has for us. And here it is jumped off the page for me. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. If that's not about identity, I don't know what is. He's in us, we're in him, he's love. It's all about love. That's the definition of love. I needed to take this further. Um, Oftentimes, uh, for me and I think for a lot of us, what's that like that he loves us? How, how, How can I express that or how can I experience that? Um, Before I get to that part, you know, it, it's talked about a little bit in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. I think Paul's saying it's pretty big. That God's love for us is pretty awesome. Uh, 
As we know, our old self died and we became holy and righteous. I love how Luke says it. It's not only what he did for us, it's what he did to us. Uh, Our body, soul, and spirit are clean. That's what he did to us. So the right question then is, well, if I'm so holy, righteous, and redeemed, and clean, why do I sin? For me, it's because of that external influencer. For many, it's known as the power of sin. (laughs) (laughs) That external influencer. (laughs) But that's not who we are. That's not who you are. It's an external influencer. And we have the ability to choose how to respond to it. Stay with me here. Oftentimes we get thoughts into our head, random thoughts. Some thoughts we can generate ourselves, but oftentimes we get random thoughts. And uh, many times uh, uh, they, sometimes you can create a thought, but many times we get random thoughts. Sometimes these thoughts are of God or they are not. We all have thoughts not of him. Anger, jealousy, lust. She doesn't tell me, but I know that sometimes Diane gets those thoughts. Nordstrom, Nordstrom, Nordstrom. (laughs) Uh, But it's what do we do with those thoughts? How do we discern if they're of him or if that's of the external influencer. Last week, Ed shared with us, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but that with the temptation will provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. I believe God speaks to us in three ways. His word, prayer, and circumstances. He's in it. So this part here where I'm going to now try to tie together uh, those external influencers, those thoughts on how we can overcome them, and through the power of his love. Remember back in uh, what it said um, at the beginning there, he demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can, I'm in on that. I, I can buy it. And, I, and I'm all in. But how else does his love play out and, and affect me on a daily basis. So not long ago, during some prayer time with Christ, I, I wanted to understand better the, the, the extent of his love. And I, I called out to him. I said, hey, God, help me understand it. Help me to appreciate it. And this is what he did. Uh, he helped me provide. Uh, and, to, and then I asked him, help me to provide a way of escape whenever I was the subject of that external influencer. So during that prayer and conversation, this happened. He gave me a vision. He gave me an illustration, and it was this. This is Niagara Falls. And he said, Jeff, I want you to imagine that you're standing at the bottom of Niagara Falls. And there are billions and billions of gallons of water 
raining down on you every second. That's my love for you. That you are washed and clean. I can relate to that. That I can begin to appreciate. That's a lot of love. That's pretty big. So then he did something even more for me. Remember those thoughts. After providing me with this description, this visual of what his love can be, uh, I asked him for that way of escape. And then, right after this prayer time, if I had a random thought that was not of him, whether it was a thought of anger or jealousy or temptation or lust, whatever it was, whatever it was, this actually happened. That thought came in, instantaneously came to thought of a waterfall. That really happens. This has been happening for the last two months or so. For me, that's him saying, this is how much I love you. This thought that just came in, that's not of me. You just need my love. That's all you need. You can rest on that. You don't have to be held captive by this thought, whatever it is. Just remember that waterfall. Remember how much I love you. I got you. Coincidence? I don't think so. This is a way that I've been seeking to appreciate and discern his love. This is God's way of providing me with an escape from the temptations. He died on the cross, and every day he's showing me that I'm standing at the bottom of that waterfall. Sweetie? Um, I just have to say God has provided me with a escape from Nordstrom, and it's called TJ Maxx. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So, much more than have now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Because of our belief in this ultimate sacrifice on the cross, we have been made righteous. We have peace with God. We will not disappoint him. We are holy. We are a saint. Um, Just take that in for a minute. I mean... How wonderful that is. We've been saved from the wrath of God, which is the angry judgment of God. No, in verse 9, Paul is not suggesting as believers encountering wrath is possible. Paul is stating that once you believe justified by his blood, then escaping his wrath is guaranteed. Verse 10. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Okay, a few things here. First, I'm going to focus on the much more than part. First, we were reconciled, but much more, we were saved. So, imagine... You meet a friend, or you are reunited with a friend. You're reconciled. You've come back together. Okay? That's a great feeling. 
friendship is golden. That's a really good thing that you've been reconciled. And that's what Jesus was saying. That's what he did. You're reconciled. But it didn't stop there. In fact, much more, we've been saved. So, uh, for me, that's described in two ways, or can be experienced in two ways. Uh, How great that is. We're friends, we're reconciled, and I don't have to be worried about my eternal life? Are you kidding me? I don't have to be concerned about what happens when I die? That's pretty big. That's so big, it's, it's, it's like when George Bailey realizes the impact that his life has had on his community and he runs back from the bridge and runs into town and he sees that the name of the town is Bedford Falls and he says, hello, Bedford Falls. And he sees, he's running down the street, he sees Mr. Potter in the window on the phone and he says, hello, Mr. Potter. Yeah, I know you got that rest warrant for me, but you know what? That's not who I am. That's how big this is. Or it's like being a Cubs fan for a hundred years which alone is great. But then you win the World Series on 2016? Come on! That's the much more. We were reconciled, and then we were saved. Much more. Uh, The key points here, too, are the while we were enemies, we were reconciled, E-D, past tense, and saved, E-D, by his life. Now, there are some deeper things here, but the most important things are it's happened. It's over. It's done. He has sat down. How do we know he has sat down? Hebrews 12, verse 2. This is a keithism. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I think this is the source of it. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That sitting down, first of all, he knew the joy. There was going to be, he had to go through this cross thing, but there was joy on the other side. He knew that. But then he sat down. That sitting down, that's big. That means it's over. It's done. We're reconciled, we're holy, we're righteous, redeemed, and we are saved. Sweetie. And not only this, but, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Because Jesus sits at the foot of the throne, we can boast. His blood and our faith have reconciled us with our holy God. It's not my works that allow me to boast. It's a freedom that the same power that raises the sun stops the ocean on the shore and changes a heart of stone now lives in me. This is allowing me freedom knowing I'm reconciled with God and God has made us perfect. Um, 
I just wanted to share with you as I was preparing uh, for this presentation today, I, I wor- re- rehearsed in front of Anna. And throughout, Anna would correct my choices of words, selecting ones that she felt better articulated our, our, our identity. And our son, Joe, uh, over Christmas break, he invited numerous friends over to a Bible study uh, at the Tully's to hear the good. He wanted his friends to hear about grace and identity. Uh, Leavener is a community where our young adults and older adults are hearing good news and being taught that they can live their lives in abundance. Jesus came so that we would have life and have it abundantly. And what a freedom to know and understand that. So, uh, I just wanted to say thank you, friends, for being a part of our family's journey. Once you, uh, let's pray now, okay? Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for making us holy, righteous, and redeemed. Not only what you did for us, but what you did to us. Thank you that we get to rest in that. Thank you for sitting down. Thank you for making it complete. Thank you for us being reconciled with you. Thank you that it's much more than that, that we are here now already starting life eternal with you. God, it's a huge, huge Thank you for loving us. Thank you for letting that water pour over us constantly. Thank you for your love. Lord, the only request that I would make is, whatever the circumstances are, and there's always circumstances in all of our lives, just give us those reminders, those God winks that you're with us. Give us those ways to escape temptation. To just reassure us that we can rest with you. Exodus 14, 14. For God will fight your battles while you rest. We believe in you. We know you love us. And with that, we'll love others. Amen. The last thing I'll say is that... uh, Thank you for this time today, and uh, we can celebrate uh, the Cubs' win. We can celebrate that they won the World Series. I think it was Brett Sutton that had the W a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I can celebrate my wonderful wife, my wonderful daughter, my wonderful son, this wonderful community. Uh, We can celebrate God winks. We can celebrate being washed by his blood. We can celebrate living under a waterfall. And because we can celebrate all of that with his love is why I am flying the W. (laughs) Thank you, everybody.